be talking this evening about Jesus and blind men. So be pleased having your Bibles open to John 9. We'll make our way over there. John 9. As we're making our way that way, we can stop off at Matthew chapter 9 and 27. There, blind man follows Jesus into the house asking to be healed of his blindness. Jesus said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Matthew 9, 27, 28, 29. They said, yes, Lord. He said, be it done to you according to your faith. So they're healed. All right. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. You've heard about Bartimaeus. Jesus heals Bartimaeus of his blindness. Mark 10, 46. And following. And then back up to Mark chapter 8 and 22. And you'll see Jesus healing a blind man this time. Mark 8, 22 and following. He spits in his eyes and lays his hand on him and heals him. But our time this evening will be in John 9. John 9. And we'll ask some questions of the text and then make a few observations. So... Uh, John 9, 1 through 6 is where we'll be. John 9, 1 through 6. Are you ready? Verse number 1. What did Jesus see as he passed by the way? What did Jesus see as he passed by the way? What does he see? Okay, he sees a man blind from birth. You see that? Blind from birth. Now we notice these other healings in Mark and, and Matthew. This is the first one we read, blindness concerning, that he heals a man who had been blind from birth. Blind from birth. People have troubles, don't they? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Put yourself in this situation. Blind from birth. Can you think about the extra stress? the extra work that would be upon this man since he was way little, the same things, the stress and the extra work that would be upon his parents, upon his siblings, upon his friends, upon his grandparents, upon his schoolmates. Can you imagine? The world has trouble, doesn't it? Sure does. Trouble is here because of sin. But people have burdens. People have uh, troubles. I remember growing up in, in grade school, a couple guys that, were, that had health challenges. I remember one guy uh, all throughout my grade school. He kept coming, but he had braces on both legs. And uh, sometimes his parents would have to carry him in on some mornings. There were parts of the school, school year where he would miss you know, two, two or three weeks at a time and, and then he would uh, show back up. Uh, going to recess was not easy for this man, for this little boy. Okay? We'd all run out to recess and oftentimes he wouldn't get to go, but a lot of times he would just make it out to recess almost at the end of, of recess time. Can you imagine his parents? Can you imagine 
the the extra work and struggles and and uh, people do have burdens. Notice that that Jesus saw this man. Jesus saw this man. The Lord was not so preoccupied with his own troubles that he did not see the the burdens of others. Jesus saw this man. Now Jesus had his own troubles, no doubt. In fact, the previous chapter, John chapter 8, around verse 40, you see that Jesus is having a conversation with uh, some of the Jews, and he says to them, you keep trying to kill me. You keep trying to kill me. He would explain to them, you say you are of Abraham. Abraham would not do the things that you are doing. You are, and one of those things is you keep trying to kill me. Jesus had his own troubles, didn't he? He had people trying to kill him, but that didn't keep him from seeing the burdens of others. It reminds us of when Jesus was on the cross. He's, first of all, he's dying for our sins, the sins of the world, but also he, as he dies on the cross, he's looking out for his mother. He's given John the responsibility. He is... Um, talking in a very um, scriptural and spiritual way with the penitent thief that was next to him. He was careful to refer to scripture and to fulfill scripture even as his life blood is flowing uh, from him. He did all this. He died for our sins, but also he made reference to scripture again and again so that we can come behind him later as we do now and read this scripture. You see, as we know, compassion is the key, isn't it? Compassion is the key to life. And Jesus is showing us compassion here. You might recall in Luke 15, verse 20, that as the prodigal son came home, the father was moved with compassion and ran toward him. Compassion is the key to everything. What does it mean to be compassionate? Oftentimes in the modern translations, instead of the word compassion, the translation will have, his heart went out to him. His heart went out to him. Compassion literally means to suffer together. To suffer together. That means that when we see someone else burdened, we're willing to crawl into that burden with them and be there with them and help them to bear that burden. To suffer together. That's what compassion is. And this is what Jesus was willing to do as he left heaven and he came down here and he crawled into our lives with us and he died for our sins and left us the perfect example. You remember the story of the little girl Lucy who came walking in the back door. Her mom said, well, where have you been? She said, I was on... Uh, I was over there with, with Susie. Susie was sad. She said, why was Susie sad? And uh, she'd been to Susie's house. Why was Susie sad? And she explained to her mom, Susie's sad because her dog got a hold of her baby doll and tore it into pieces, and she was crying. Her mom said, Lucy, what did you do for her? And she said, oh, I just went over there and cried with her. That's what I've been doing. I've been crying with her. You see, she just went over there and crawled into her life with her and, and um, helped her with her burden. That's compassion. That's compassion. 
So we see here that Jesus, John 9 verse 1, he sees a man who had been blind uh, from birth. All right, looking at John 9 verse 2, let's ask this question. What question did Jesus' disciples ask him? What did Jesus' disciples ask Jesus? All right. Who did sin, this man or his parents? And Jesus' disciples are asking this. Okay. Why would they ask this? Yeah. Why would they ask this? They would surely know you could not be born into sin. Well, they asked this because they had been led astray. This is a very old um, false idea. That is, some people have believed all along that um, tragedy or sickness is the direct result of somebody's personal sin. In other words, people have believed all along through the ages that God directly afflicts a child because of the sin of somebody close to that child, whether it be parents or grandparents or whatever. Okay. This is a delusion. This is, this is uh, basically superstition. It's not true. It's not true, but it's an old habit. It's an old false ideal. Turn back with me to Job chapter 4. And notice how that as Job's friends come to, uh, quote, quote, comfort him, uh, they weren't providing just a lot of comfort. I think it's Eliphaz here in Job 4. Yeah, it's Eliphaz. Look what Eliphaz says to Job. He's basically blaming Job uh, and Job's sins uh, for all the afflictions that had come upon Job. Job 4, verse 7 in beginning, beginning verse 7. This is Eliphaz talking to Job. He said, Job, remember who that was, who that was ever innocent. Who, who was it that was innocent ever perished? See that? Who that was innocent ever perished? In other words, uh, Job, you can't be innocent uh, if you're uh, suffering these things. Or, he says, where were the upright ever cut off? words, if you were upright, Job, you would not be experiencing these things. Verse 8, Job 4, verse 8. He says, as I have seen those who plow iniquity, sow trouble, and reap the same. Job, evidently, you've been plowing iniquity because you're reaping uh, trouble. Okay. In verse 9, by the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of his anger they are consumed. Now, if you if you are in iniquity, God is going to repay you and he's going to do it right now in this life. If you're suffering something, it must be because of your own sin. Okay. Eliphaz was wrong and Jesus' disciples were wrong. But many people have been deluded by this false idea. Way over in Acts 28, verse 3 and 4, Paul, you remember, had this shipwreck and then he ended up on this island of, of Malta and you remember they were gathering sticks to try to get warmed up coming out of the, the ocean. Uh, they're trying to get warmed up. And Paul put some sticks on the fire too. And all of a sudden, what came out of the fire? Yeah, a viper, poison snake, latched onto Paul's hand. And the, the native people there said, well, 
he, he might have escaped the shipwreck, but, but his uh, justice has, has caught up with him. So those islanders there, those natives there of that land, they had this idea too, that if something bad happens to you, then, then it must be that, that uh, you, you know, justice has kept up, uh, caught up with you. Okay. But it's simply not true. It's simply not true. Now, it is true that Proverbs uh, 13, 15 says, the way of the transgressor is hard. It, it is true that we can make bad decisions and bring both emotional and physical harm uh, to ourselves, but this is not that case here in John 9. Okay. God does not afflict a child because of something that uh, parents have done or, or they've done in the past. Okay. There's a parallel case um, that's similar to this mentioned by Jesus in Luke 13, 1 through 3, if you want to check that for a second. Luke 13, 1 through 3, Jesus mentions two tragedies. One, uh, Pilate at some time had shed the blood of some Galileans, and Jesus asked the question. He said, do you think those who died uh, because of Pilate were worse sinners than others? And then there in Luke 13, Jesus mentioned how the, the Tower of Siloam had fallen on some people and killed 18 people, and Jesus asked the question, well, do you think, do you think those who were... Um, were killed during that occasion, that they were worse sinners than others? And Jesus answers the question twice, no, no. And then he has this, except you repent, you shall likewise perish. But he says, no, they were not worse sinners just because they underwent uh, this tragedy. And so notice this question uh, that they asked. Now the key here is self-examination. Self-examination. That's what Jesus is calling on us to do. That's what Jesus would call upon his disciples to do. The key is to repent. The key is when something bad happens, that ought to cause us to, to self-examine uh, and look at ourselves uh, even closer. Notice the disciples here, as, um, as they come and ask Jesus this question, they're mentioning different people's sins, but they're not mentioning their own sin. Who did sin? This man or his parents, Jesus would say, look, what about your own sins? Okay. You need to stop and examine yourself. Your repentance is the key here. Self-examination is the key. Remember what Jesus said over in John 8, 1 through 11, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Okay. And so notice this question that the disciples ask. All right, moving on to John 9 and verse 3. Jesus responds by saying, neither, neither this man nor his parents have sinned, but that the blank of God might be manifested. What goes in this blank here? Yeah, the works of God. The works of God. Jesus is saying that, that this, this blindness has a greater purpose than simply the blindness. And that is that the works of God might be displayed for all of us. Okay. A similar little remark is made by Jesus in John 11 in verse 4 as he's about to go to Lazarus. He delays a little bit, but it is reported that his good friend Lazarus has become sick, very sick unto death. And Jesus said, this, this is not going to be a sickness unto death. This is going to be something that brings out the glory of God. 
So Jesus is explaining here that, that this blindness is going to display for all of them and for us too the works of God. The works of God. You see, the works of God, uh, were, they were able to show that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. Check your Bibles back in John 5 and 36. John 5 and 36, Jesus says there, The very works that I do, they bear witness of me. John 5, 36. The very works that I do, they bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Okay. You want real proof that, that the Father has sent the Son? Well, uh, part of that proof is that, that not only that the Father spoke from heaven, not only that John the Baptist testified him, but that he did these works. These works like healing this blind man. Healing these blind men. Works like raising Lazarus from the dead, like walking on the water and so forth. These works showed that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. In a sort of similar way, the weaknesses that we see and we experience, the sicknesses, even the tragedies that we face in life, also have a higher purpose sometimes. Okay. I'll be turning over to, to John 21 and see this for just a minute. John 21, 18, 19. Jesus is explaining to Peter that he would die a death, a kind of a violent, tragic death. Peter would be captured eventually and then eventually die by means of his captors. Okay. But notice what Jesus says here in John uh, 21, 18 and 19. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, uh, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you uh, do not want to go. This he said to show and signify by what manner of death he was to glorify God. Now, Peter would be captured. He would be led about. Eventually his, his uh, captors would kill him. He would die in the name of Jesus. And this would glorify God. See, even things that we face in life. Okay, can be a means of us growing in God. And glorifying him. We all recall uh, Paul's statements in 2 Corinthians 12. 7 through uh, 10, where Paul mentions how he had asked God to remove a thorn in the flesh uh, three times. But God said, verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for uh, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul said, okay, I'm going to rejoice in my weaknesses and my sufferings and my persecutions that the glory of God may rest upon me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so as we read this, we need to realize sometimes... Sometimes the things that we face, the hard things we face, can be a means of us glorifying God even at a greater uh, level. We need to recall what God promises us and what God doesn't promise us. There are four things that God promises us. Persecution, tribulation, temptation, and consolation. Is that being too negative? He promises persecution, tribulation, temptation, but consolation. That consolation is the best part of that. That's heaven up above. That's our 
That's our reward. But before we get there, we're going to face some trials and struggles. Persecution, tribulation, temptation. Temptation to quit. Temptation to follow the world. Somewhere along the line, we need to explain to our children and grandchildren that, that being a Christian is not a walk through a rose garden. What are you going to say to your children when they say, uh, church, uh, church, church. That's just, um, that church, it's not for me. It's not, it's not for me. What are you going to say? Oh, I'm sorry, honey. I'm sorry. Sorry things are not comfortable for you. No, you're not going to say that. You're going to say, look, here's what Jesus said. Whoever wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow him because you're going to run into temptation, tribulation, and persecution. But the good news is there's going to be consolation, but not here. We're just not there yet. Heaven up above. What God expects us to do through the tribulation and temptation is to grow in Him and glorify Him at uh, every mark. So notice here, John 9 in verse 3, Jesus says the works of God will be uh, displayed. Jesus was very good, perfect, we should say. Jesus was perfect at taking what was facing Him and uh, glorifying God. We should follow his example. John 9 now, and verse 4, some questions. What did Jesus say that we must work? What did Jesus say we must work? Yes, we must work the works of him that sent me, okay? Second question here, John 9, verse 4. What does Jesus say about day and night? What does Jesus say about day and night? What do you say, Sam? Okay. The night comes when no man can work. Okay, what's he saying? What's he saying? What's he... Right, while we've got the time, urgency. Jesus is bringing out a sense of urgency. He wants to implant within us a sense of urgency. And um, the Bible is constantly trying to do that with us. One place, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, 16, he says, redeeming the time because, because the days are evil. Okay. If you're ever going to do something about the evil that's in the world, you've got to do it now. Make the most of your time because the days are evil. And you don't get that time back. Okay. And so we must constantly be thinking about the sense of urgency. Notice how Jesus connects the next verse to what he's saying here. He says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Okay. In other words, Jesus is saying... You know, while I'm here with you, you've got to constantly be realizing that I am the light of the world. Learn from me. Watch me. Realize what my purpose here is. We remember what Jesus says in John 8 and verse 12, where he does say, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. We've got to realize, his disciples were to be realizing that, that what they need to be focused on, they don't need to be 
distracted by theological questions, who did sin, this man or his parents? His parents, they need to be focused on the fact that the light of the world is standing right there in front of them, and they need to be focused on, on what he's all about and then seek to be like him uh, whenever he leaves. And as I said, the Bible urges us to capture this sense of urgency. Turn with me to, to John 12. It's, it's really capturing how John repeats the themes over and over that he starts. He'll start a theme like this and then he'll come back to it. All right, so Jesus does. Look in John 12, 34. They had asked Jesus, well, who is the Son of Man? Jesus had just said that the Son of Man must be lifted up and he'll draw all men unto me. They were asking, well, why must the Son of Man be lifted up and who is the Son of Man. Well, Jesus doesn't answer their question directly, but look at John 12, 35. Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtakes you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light... Believe in the light that you may become the sons of light. Jesus is urging them. I'm right here before you. You've got an opportunity of, of a lifetime. Learn from me so that you can become the sons of light. For us today, the light comes through not only the example of Jesus, but the gospel itself. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, Paul says that the devil will try to keep on blinding the minds of the unbelieving so that the light of the glorious gospel will not dawn upon them. The light from God comes through the glorious gospel. And the devil knows if that light ever dawns upon us, if that light ever gets a hold of us, then um, we're going to be followers of the lowly Nazarene. But... Um, the devil loves it when we're not realizing that we have the light right here before us and we just uh, continuously ignore it and time is passing on. So notice here in John 9, 4 and 5, Jesus is urging a sense of urgency. Now let me ask this to you. Uh, what are the works of God here? He says we must work the works of God while it's day, the night comes and no man can work. What are the works of God here? We know, we've already mentioned Jesus' works of miraculous natures. Healing people and raising people from the dead. He extends it here to include us. We, we must work the works. What are the works that we must be working? What are, we must work the works of God once a day. Well, you know the answer to this. Luke 19, verse 10, we read, Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and that is, our, that is our mission as well. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, the things which you've heard from me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Okay. Ideally is we don't just teach other people, we teach them in such a way that they also can teach other people. You see, that's the mission of our Lord. That's the works of God. And of course, God would have us to be involved in, in works of compassion, in works of building each other up. But the main mission, no one can, 
can dispute. The main mission is the seeking and the saving of the lost. You know this. Okay. Look at your Bibles in 1 Corinthians uh, 16, verses 9 and 10. 1 Corinthians 16, 9 and 10. Paul says there in verse 9, he says, I'm going to stay here in Ephesus, writing to the brethren in Corinth. He's I'm going to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door has been opened here. What do you mean by that? Opportunity. Opportunity for what? To teach the lost. Yeah, to teach the Word of God. In fact, in Colossians 4, verse 3, Paul urges, urges the brethren, he says, Pray for me that a door may be opened for the Word. When Paul uses the word door in this manner, he is talking about an opportunity to teach the word, to carry on the mission. Then notice verse 10. He says, when Timothy comes to you, a poor Timothy is being sent into Corinth amidst all the struggles there. Timothy is coming. He says, when Timothy comes to you, you set him at ease because he does the work of God just like I do. Paul's involved in it. Timothy's involved in it. We should be involved in it, as you know. Okay. So, what are the works of God? I think that sums it up. You could add to it, and you, we could go on and on. But now, this question. How do we work? See what Jesus says? We must work the works. Well, we see what the works are. How do we work the works? How do you do that? How do you do that? Does that sound like a command to you? We must work the works? Okay. He doesn't say, we must find somebody somewhere to come and do the works for us. What does he say? We must work the works. How do you work the works? Here's what I like to do. You, you find the way, because this is an individual uh, command. So you find the way. Here's why I like to ask people questions. Okay. One, my favorite question is, what are your plans after you walk out of this life? Okay. It's the greatest question to ask. What are your plans after this life? Because everybody knows, no matter who you are, whether you're rich or poor, no matter what work you're doing, no matter what family you have, no matter where you live on this planet, you are not going to be here very much longer. What are your plans? When you walk out of here. And, just, and then uh, whatever the answer is, you're ready. You're ready. You hear every service, you read your Bible every day, then you're ready. Whatever they come with, you've got a spiritual conversation taking place. I like, I like to leave somebody, some religious material, after I talk to them. It's just what I like to do. For one thing, it is so available. Okay. We've, got, we've got religious material, Bible-based, scriptural material running out of the top of our heads. We can get our hands on things that are very, very helpful. Okay. Years ago, years ago, my wife Kelly had this book she was reading. What to expect when you're expecting. One of the most popular books ever written. Okay. I dare say most of you have a copy of the book, What to Expect When You're Expecting. Okay. 
Did you know that among churches of Christ, that the most requested track, as far as we know, and what am I associated with? I'm associated with House to House and Apologetics Press mainly. So at least among these two programs, the most requested track among these two programs is this, what to expect when you visit the churches of Christ. By far, it doesn't even come close. It's like 700 more per month in request for that track. That track, what to expect when you visit the churches of Christ. We have those tracks available. It's obvious that people want to know more about the church, but they want to do it in their own privacy. They've requested it, and we can leave them uh, that track. I like to door knock. I like to door knock. I've heard something about a door knocking tape taking place here pretty soon. I like to door knock. Now, I don't, I don't think you ought to go door knocking if you don't want to do it. Because guess what? That's the first thing they pick up on when they come to the door. They, they, can, they can see your fear. They can see you really don't want to be doing this. You're just going through the motions because you've been guilted into it. Don't go. Please, don't go. We, that's not what we need. Okay. But we do need people who really want to show up at someone's door in behalf of the Lord Jesus. That's what we really need. Okay. And so I, 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 love to, I, love, I love talking to, to strangers. And so you find out a way. But here's, here it is in John 9 verse 4. The Lord says, we must work the works. We've got to find a way of doing it. I like the little house-to-house -house paper still. I, I like that little house-to-house -house paper. Again, you, you're familiar with this, but one of the great things about house-to-house -house is it, it, it serves as a, as a path into the Scriptures because, because in that little paper, uh, you will have just several outlines and several little Bible helps that you can look at and say, hey, I can take this and go read Chronicles, or I can take this and go, go back into the Psalms. It has a little uh, nuggets of truth that can help you go find more truth into the Bible. The house to house is laid out a lot like Paul's letters. You know what Paul, you know Paul's letters, like Ephesians, Galatians? You know how Paul does. He has some doctrinal content, but he also has some matters about daily life and about family life. If you read Ephesians and, and Philippians and Colossians and you read Galatians, you see that's how Paul does it. And that's how this paper is laid out. It'll have some doctrinal content about what to do to be saved, how to worship, but also in the middle, it'll have some very practical uh, advice about family, about, about children, about daily life. Best thing about House to House is the front page. The front page. What you can put on the front page. By the way, House to House costs 37 cents per paper to, to print it and to mail it. Okay. And i tell you right now, you don't, don't go search it. You're not going to beat that price for a long time. Okay. 37 cents an, an issue. Okay. But anyway, on the front, you can put, uh, you, can offer, um, you can offer classes for all ages. You can put all the information about uh, your congregation and, and the things that you have, whether it be through the media or through contact through the phone. You can put... Um, the fact that you, you offer a compassionate care. Now, you can't put that on there if you don't mean it. If, you're not going to, if you can't put on there, hey, we, we love to help people with their, with their needs. We, 
if you can't back that up, then you don't put it on there. But then you can offer a free ride. And, and I was listening to some guys at PTP this year and, and how they were using PTP, and they said the number one thing that they use is offering a free ride to services on the front. And they get, they get calls as the paper. Of course, the paper has to be sent out on a consistent basis. But they get calls, and but then you got to be ready to back it up. Yep, you want to ride to church? We, we have men who are ready to give you a ride to church. You can offer uh, these um, services. You can offer home Bible studies. You can, you can just offer a way of hearing the gospel. You can, you can put links on that front page that will link someone, up, someone uh, to World Video Bible School or GBN or other places where they can hear uh, the gospel. I'm just telling you how, how what I like to do as Jesus is telling each of us to work the works, you see. All right. Now, that takes us to the last part here, John 9, 6, and 7. Which of the following was not involved in the healing? Spit, mud, praying, command, singing, obedience. So which, which of those need to be marked out? Singing. What else? According to John 9, 6 and 7. And pray. Okay. So Jesus used his spit. He used uh, mud and made some clay. And then he anointed the man's hands. He gave him command, go wash in the pool of Siloam. The man went and washed so he obeyed and he came back cleansing. You could sum it up this way. There is the, the clay... And there's the command, there's the compliance with the command, and then there is the cleansing. You see that. Okay. There is um, an interesting thing here, if we just wanted to stay here all night, we might. Think about Jesus in dirt. Jesus loves to be in the dirt. Here he is in dirt again. We read him about him over in John 8. He's down in the dirt, and he's riding uh, on the ground. Nobody knows what he was writing, but Jesus, he loved to be in the dirt. His, his little boy really never uh, got through with him. So uh, he loves to be in the dirt. But notice here that this healing uh, is somewhat of a pattern to spiritual healing. Okay. Because Jesus here is, Jesus is involved and he's got the mud and he, he, he's able to bring out a physical healing of the man's uh, sickness. So spiritually, Jesus is involved, and, um, but instead of mud, there's the cross, and then from the cross comes commands uh, that we must obey. Okay. So notice that little comparison there. But notice the water involved, the water involved. And I know you might say, well, uh, in this John 9, there's nothing here about baptism, and I know there's not, but you can't deny this that God has used water all across the landscape of the Bible. I mean, look where water has stood. Water stood between the old world and the new world of Noah. Water stood between the, the bondage of Egypt and the freedom in the wilderness. In fact, Paul calls this, coming through the Red Sea, a baptism in 1 Corinthians 10. Water stood between the leprosy of Naaman and his cleansing. Water stands between... The man here, his blindness and, 
and his being able to be healed, and we know that the waters of baptism stand between a sinner and salvation. Let me ask you this, and we'll come to a close. You know, as we were reading about the blindness and Jesus healing, these, these men followed Jesus in the house, and He said, do you believe I'm able to do this? They said, yes, Lord. And He said, well, be it done unto you. He doesn't use any means. He doesn't use mud there. Why does He use it here? Why does He use mud here and not other places? Most likely for the benefit of this man. So this man could have an opportunity to to express his faith. He He gives the man a command so the man could express his faith. God today gives us commands. That's how we express our faith. We stop and we ask ourselves, am I in submission to my Lord? Am I obeying Him? Is this a constant habit that is in my life? Do I seek Him? Do I seek His authority in my life? Am I happy to lay down my life uh, before Him? Thank you for for walking through this little instance in John 9. Jesus heals this man, this man blind from birth. Jesus shows his power. And through his power, we can be convicted that he is indeed the Son of God. But also, through his example here, and through his different comments, we can be convicted of our sin and see the need to repent, to repent. But also, by noticing this use of water, we can be taught that Jesus also uses water to bring about a spiritual healing of people today. There are many lessons we can learn from Jesus healing this blind man. My prayer is that you will read these passages and we'll all read them together and that we will be built up in the most holy faith. Can we help you with any spiritual need this evening? Surely this episode, these episodes of Jesus, shows us that He can, He's the one, that He's the one who can solve all of our troubles. He's the one that can give us the hope uh, that we need. He's the one that can help us grow. Will you come this evening as we stand and as we sing?